And uh, excited to be with you once again. Uh, another episode of Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. Uh, in case you needed any more endorsement, look how well uh, a certain Tiger Woods uh, brand ambassador for TaylorMade is driving it. And, of course, Adidas. Uh, mental coach Tim and myself constantly uh, festooned in the finery that is Adidas golf apparel. Uh, good morning, Tim. Good morning. I haven't been festooned lately, so it's well, kind of cool. You've been, morning, you, lo- you, you've been married a long time. I mean, what can you expect? <laughs> what can you expect? <laughs> uh, along with us today, our uh, co-host and uh, one of the uh, you know a lot of one of the best responses we've had to to his show, and if, uh, certainly somebody that we quote and talk about from time to time. He is the uh, creator of something called the Mind Factor Coaching. Uh, author and uh, mental performance coach and early on when we were doing Swing Thoughts it was a real get for us to have this gentleman on the show with us and and uh, now even more so say hello to Carl Morris Carl good to be back with you both uh, good to have you as always sir thank you great to be here Carl also uh, since we first met Carl you now have your own podcast called The Brain Booster and uh, I'm assuming that's available where all fine podcasts are produced. It, it is indeed. Yeah, we. Uh, it's it's certainly be, been great to join the podcast family. You get a chance to speak to such a wide range of people, and uh, and they don't even charge you, which is fantastic. So, <laughs> um, in line just, with our budget, exactly. <laughs> uh, give us a little, uh, if you can, you know, sort of what your day to day is. And I know a lot of people know who you are, but for the people that are just hearing about you from us today, you're a. Uh, I say you're an author, you're an instructor. Uh, what do you spend your days doing? The only thing consistent about my days, Howard, is the inconsistency, really, in the sense that you know, one, one day I might be working with a, a couple of players, and that, that might be tour players, or it might be club golfers who were, who were keen, to, keen to develop. What seems to be happening over here, there seems to be more and more senior players who, who are getting in touch these days, who've kind of built a business and done quite well for themselves but they want to have a, a, a another go at golf and pro- probably the only sport where you where you get a second chance at it is golf and you know it's it's exciting to work with some of those guys who are passionate about seeing what they can achieve with the game and then you know other days it's it's doing some writing i do a lot of seminars around europe so it's uh, it's many and varied really fantastic you know tim of course uh, the mental performance coach and uh, tim o'connor uh, author of some great books. I know that, Tim, you're going to be talking about your book, The Mo Norman Art of uh, Greatness, <laughs> The Feeling of Art, <laughs> the, art the, the the Greatness of Tim. Uh, I actually have a question for both of you guys because you work with golfers all the time. Do you think it's tougher for uh, golfers as we age to make improvements? Whether it's, And we're going to talk about putting later, but just in general, Carl, Tim, like some, you said some guys want to, you know, golf's a, the great, the sport of second chances. I think for me, Howard, it depends on what I call the story in, in the sense that if you, if you build a story around yourself that as you get older, you're bound to get, you know, you lose your distance and you lose your feel on the greens and your nerves are not the same anymore and all that kind of stuff. And if that story is really strong, you, you'll, you'll, you're going to, you're going to, re- going to find it very very tough to improve but if the if the story is one you know i've been fortunate to, to have uh, elizabeth um ellen langer on the podcast a while ago he's done some amazing research around the concept of aging uh, and the idea that so much of the things that that we encounter as we get older 
are actually sped up by the story that we tell ourselves. And, and when we change some of those narratives and we, we buy into the idea that, you know, you can still learn skills, you can still get better into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever it is. There's so much out there now about, you know, even people in the 90s starting starting weightlifting programs and, and making making significant gains. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very sort of passionate about working with people and first of all, understanding the story that they're carrying around with them and then asking them, do they want to keep playing out that story or do they want to change the narrative? And the idea for me is that you, do you either want to become the director or the actor, whereas the director's got charge of the script, the actors just acting out the script blindly. Uh, Tim, we talk about stories all the time about how golfers start creating a story, uh, obviously long before they play that first shot, but a lot of golf rounds are just littered with stories we tell ourselves about how good or how bad or good breaks and bad breaks. And Absolutely. And um, yeah, the parallels are just staggering in terms of what Carl's been talking about and, and my experience in my own game and as a coach and what you're talking about, Howard, is in terms of how people are invested in stories and often in their beliefs. And mostly, most of the beliefs we carry out are very limiting beliefs and what we call shadow, those parts of us that we that, that come up and we don't even know they're in our blind spots. And so what's really interesting to me is that good players of, of all ages can kind of distance themselves from those stories. And I see that particularly in a lot of senior players, it's really interesting, the um, synchronicity, maybe that's the word, that Carl's experience and I am is that a, a lot of my clients now are senior golfers uh, who uh, really want to play better. And they're, they've got time and the resources. And and it's, it's just like Howard said. It's really interesting. How, uh, Carl, you, your podcast twigged me onto Ellen Langer and mm. her book uh, Mindfulness. And mm. I'm actually uh, – I got the audio version. I'm listening to it for the second time. Mm. And I've experienced exactly what she talks about in that book is that you can – if you let go of the limiting belief that – that um, you know, in your 60s, uh, you're supposed to get loose distance and all all that. And yes, you can't hit it far as the kids these days, but um, you can play amazing golf and, and have a great life um, if you don't get dragged down by those stories. And that they're just stories. And if you can just really kind of zero in on what you've got, your own experience, you can do some amazing things. And a lot of it, a lot of it, Tim, I think, is about being very aware of the, the triggers in your environment as well. And, you know, the classic Ellen Langer experiment where she took all those, I think it was all men in the 70s and took them into a, a kind of uh, pod where they, where they went back to the 1950s. And, you know, they were listening to Walter Cronkite on the news and reading things as though they were back in the 1950s. And before they went into that pod, uh, that environment, they were all the markers were taken, all the physical markers of age, flexibility, eyesight, um, grip strength, all those kind of things. And you know, she said to me in the podcast that I did with her that, the, that she she was staggered by the results of the experiment when they came out. You know, the it was like almost like a Lewards experience where these people had gone oh, back yeah. mentally 
to a previous time and that had, had a physical effect on so many things so you know again relating to this story is that you know we've got to be very very aware of the environment that we spend so much time in you know are, are we are we sort of the old thing about misery loves company you know you know that you're spending time with perhaps people of your own age and it's very easy to sort of buy into and start recalling the stories of how things are getting worse and you you know you're creaking and all the rest of it and and that's where i think golf's such a a fantastic opportunity and a fantastic sport because again you know you can be in your late 70s and tee it up with a bunch of teenagers and give them a game because you've the handicapping system and you know you can think your way around the golf course better and I, I just think golf doesn't sell itself enough or, or to, to the older generation because I'm absolutely convinced that it's it's got the potential not only to you know not only to have good times but literally to keep you alive longer. You know, you hear about the instances now of Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. And you know, I think I think it's such a great game because it constantly challenges you. It sets you a puzzle every time you play. And you know, I think it's 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 a great area of exploration now. Well, Carl, um, this will be a great way for us to segue into uh, your latest book. I, I want to give you guys a couple of quotes. Uh, one is uh, from Arnold Palmer, and um, it's a famous one, but we, I don't know if we've ever done it on the show. You know, his one where he says golf is deceptively simple, de- deceptively simple and endlessly complicated. Another one that I love is a good player who is a great putter is a match for any golfer. A great hitter who cannot putt is a match for no one. Mm. Carl's uh, latest book is called The Lost Art of Putting and why I believe it's a good place for us to get into it because in, we, you guys were, we were, were talking about golfers and carrying around stories and certainly listeners of the show have known that you know this summer I've been struggling as a you know fairly elite player I've played at a high level all summer and I hit the ball very very well for the most part and yet Tim and I have played together and I've talked about you know cuts I've missed and and tournaments I've played in where I just haven't been putting very well. And it's weird because prior to this summer, Carl, my story about my putting ability is, you know, I certainly used to joke with one of my coaches. I'd say, I'm the greatest lag putter of all time because I truly believed. <laughs> I literally true. I, I believe in myself. Even when I would miss putts or three putt the odd time, I still believed I was the greatest lag putter on the planet. Right. And then, as Tim would tell you, the story of my putting ability has changed and shifted this summer. Uh, up to and including um, the Canadian Mid-Am, which uh, listeners know I went out to Victoria, B.C. and played in it in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, what you said about, you know, competing with younger people, you know, the Mid-Am is for men 25 and up. And as a 58-year-old, yeah. being invited is a great, you know, honor. And I appreciated the, the chance to play. And from T to green, none of the kids I play with are, are too much. I'm, I'm able to compete with them. Mm. The irony is, as I told you before we started... That I uh, I just you know I had a little bit of a you know a tough summer putting and on the highest stage I was on this summer the most pressure I felt my putting just left me and I'm talking right. about in a very real way I, I haven't told the listeners yet I told you guys I had 42 putts in the first round and I had 38 putts in the second round my average Ouch. putting round <laughs> yeah by the way so Tim shots on my, the green <laughs> uh, you know it's funny Tim just made the same you would have no idea how many people sent me the text ouch. Um, but that's a lot of putts. On, on, you know, I'm a, at my level, on an average putting round would be somewhere between 28 and 32. Well, what, what's your handicap right now? Uh, 1.5 or something. Yeah, so you're the guy's a player, Carl, and like a great yeah, yeah. swing. And Howard, you've always, I always thought you were a really good putter. So, 
so Howard, why don't you just maybe describe at Victoria Golf Club what you were experiencing on the greens so our our listeners can get a sense of maybe how they may have a similar experience and maybe how Carl or even me <laughs> may jump in and uh, provide some salve for your wounds. How's well, you know, uh, well, I thank you for that. I, I, my wounds closed uh, immediately. You know, Victoria, B.C., Carl, <clears throat> is one of the most beautiful places in the world, let alone Canada. Yeah. yeah. And if you can imagine sort of a miniature pe- pebble beach, that's what this golf course is like. Right. The last thing I'll tell you is, you know, when people tell you how fast the greens were at their member guest, I sometimes yeah. smile because when you, when you play at a national championship, those greens are for real fast. Like, they were 12-plus. Now, right. which is fine, but there's a lot of slope on these greens. So as I, I hit the first seven greens in a row in regulation, I hit eight of the first nine greens on the front nine of this championship, and I was in full flush. Every fairway, every green, and I shot 41. So what was happening to me is, you know, putts that go in or pars that you make or birdies that you occasionally get build momentum. And what happened to me is I three-putted constantly. I four-putted two holes in a row. At one point, I had a four-putt, a four-putt, and a three-putt on holes that I hit the fairway and hit the green. And so I wasn't able to gather any wind in the sails. And even though I kept trying, I, I think I made a par in the last hole, or I got up and down for par for 86. It was a, you know, it's disappointing because your ball's in the air and you're hitting it pretty good and it looks like you're going to shoot a decent number. And, you know, my putting has left me. Now, some of it one, might. One of, the, one of the questions I would ask with that, because I think it's really interesting and very relevant, is that when you when you were putting, what I, I talk to people about becoming an attention detective, about understanding mm. what their attention is on. Now, what, just describe to me what your, what your attention was on as you were putting. Well, uh, I'm I'm happy to confess uh, that it was on the wrong things. I was really struggling with what kind of stroke to make, how long, how short, what feel. I was so technically involved that I wasn't reading the subtleties, the you know the slight break on a 25 footer that sent my ball 15 feet past the hole, and then and when I saw it go past the hole, I'm like, oh, I really didn't think it was that you know that much of a slope. There were things I noticed after the fact, but to your point. What I wasn't focused on, or what I was focused on, was a lot of technical stuff. And when did that start, Howard? When did you start really focusing in on, as you say, your technique? Well, if I may just go back, people who have heard the show know that for many tournaments this summer, in fact, one of the rounds Tim and I played together, I just was hitting it so nicely. And again, didn't get the score that that ball striking would, you know, inform. So it's been a whole summer of bringing this story of my putting woes with me which is why The Lost Art of Putting is going to be on my Amazon order list as soon as we're off this show. Um, so, yeah, I basically was dragging that story to some lesser or greater degree based on the on the, the day. And, and, of course, as soon as you three-putt once after having... You know, statistically, at my level, you're supposed to three-putt once every three rounds or so. But when you three-putt a lot, as soon as you three-putt once, somewhere, even as... You know, as much work as I've done with Tim and other people, you can't help but go, this little quiet voice says, is, is this going to be another day when you have four three putts? That type of thing. So, Carl, does this, how similar does this sound to other experiences you hear from your clients and even your players on the PGA Tour? Almost universal, Tim. Um, and that's why we felt we, we, we needed to write this book that 
as a, as a broad generalization, uh, I, I would just describe why we wrote the book, because what we find is that most people, when they start to put badly, if you look at where their attention is, their attention starts to come back to their end of things. They actually start to get very involved in the stroke. They actually get very, very involved in start lines, all those kind of things, which we're not dismissing and we're not saying that hasn't got a part to play. But but Howard hit it completely on the head when he said that, you know, suddenly his pace was destroyed. And we mm. believe and we talk about in the book that if you if you look at it's a very simple thing to say, but if you look at it, what do you have to get right to hold a putt with two two things, line and pace. If there was one of the two which is maybe more important, we firmly believe that it's pace. Because the thing is with pace is that if you if you get the pace slightly wrong, there's something called the effective hole size in in the right. sense that in, in the sense that we've all been brought up that you know this idea of never up, never in, and all this kind of stuff, and get the ball past the hole. Well, what we've looked at there's a, there was a, there's basically a diagram in the book that changed my whole way of coaching putting because effectively what happens if you think when you're trying to hold a putt you're trying to get gravity to take effect it's the only time in golf where you want gravity to really work for you the rest of the time you're trying to fight it mm. so <laughs> so we want gravity to take effect to make the ball fall into the hole now the one thing that can overcome gravity relative to a hole on a green is momentum but i didn't realize just how much and you know as, as, as a broad generalization if you knock a putt three feet past the hole the actual size of the hole, effectively, is smaller than the ball. It actually reduces to less than 1.4 inches. Mm -hmm. so, so our belief is that most people are actually a lot better at line than they think, but a lot worse at pace than they think. And if you're at the ball end of things and you're obsessing about your stroke and you're obsessing about uh, start lines and all that kind of stuff, your ability to feel the pace of the putt is massively compromised. And all of a sudden then, you know, when, when pace is poor, you bring in the spectre, as Howard's just described, of three putting it from three putting from all over the place. You know, and, and even at club level, if there was a quickest way for most club golfers between sort of ten and twenty-four handicap to reduce the handicap, it would be to re reduce the amount of three puts. Well, what's the quickest way to reduce your three puts? Is get a bit better at pace. And it's mm. we, we, you know, we find, go on, go on Amazon and look for put, putting gadgets, and see <laughs> if you can see if you can find any putting gadgets that help you with your pace. You'll be, you'll you'll find a million that'll help you with your line, whether it's mirrors or chalk lines or things that you put on the ball, all that kind of stuff. Which I'm, as I say, I'm not dismissing, but there's almost nothing that helps you with your pace. And and so much of the book that we've put together, the Lost Art of Putting, is about understanding this and about improving pace. And we've got some quite radical drills in there. Uh, but the, you know the results we've been getting with players have been have been pretty astounding. Well, what what I think is is that you know how do you figure out pace? It's not as you say. There's no gadgets, and there's things you can certainly do through your experience of putting so that you can figure it out. And what figures it out? Generally, your body and your yes. subconscious. So yes. when you're thinking about your technique, and in fact, you are disembodied. You're disconnected yes. from your body. So thus, you don't have the You've, you've just sabotaged your natural ability to figure out how hard to hit the ball. Now, and, I'm sorry, if I may just interject, uh, go, yeah, go just, ahead. just before Carl answers, um, because, because I don't focus much on my line. What I do want to ask, though, if I may, to both of you is, 
You know, all I've done are drills. Uh, Tim and I took a seminar together, uh, the uh, Scott Fawcett uh, Decade Golf, and he talked about, you know, uh, the effective pace of the putt and how the conventional wisdom was 18 inches past the hole. But in an actual fact, to make the hole as big as possible, the pace is more like five or six inches past the hole. Yeah. My question, though, is I've how much does your ability to stroke the ball consistently and impart the same energy to the ball time after time affect the pace? Because what I have been working on more than my line is my ability to repeat a, an, an energy transfer. And that's the way I describe it, Carl and Tim. Because when I'm putting well, and I think when most people are putting well, there's a sort of natural energy imparted on the ball and when you see good putters of, of which I, I thought I used to be um, I always felt very comfortable with pace I would see it and just but that's why I, I've been struggling I think because I'm trying to find a stroke that gets me the feel I'm looking for thoughts so concerns that, yeah so that that Howard I, I completely agree that the ability to strike the the ball at the middle of the putter is is paramount in judging distance but the, the, the fundamental question that we ask in the book is, does the, does the stroke create the putt or does the putt create the stroke? Now, now our belief is that, that it has to be that the putt creates the stroke. So we then dig a little bit deeper and sort of say, well, okay, what questions are you asking as you actually look at a putt? Now, it might seem the most ridiculously simple question ever, but if you were to ask the question, what does this ball need to do to go in the hole? the very fact that your brain is a question answering machine then you'll actually start to create images you'll start to get senses well for the ball to to go into the hole it needs to probably travel on this line at this kind of pace and as tim said then by asking that question you're actually starting to create maps inside of your brain that your body can follow but if the, if, if the question is, what does this ball have to do to go in the hole, suddenly your attention then is much more at the, the whole end of things mm-hmm. rather, than what, rather than what you're doing. You know, if you think of any other sport where you're actually trying to move an object to a target, whether it's a three-throw in basketball or somebody bowling on a, gr- on a green, there's no way that your attention is at your end of things. You know, you're much more responsive, you're much more... At the, at the rim or you're much more at the jack on the green or whatever it is and you know as, as we said before I'm not I'm not dismissing the need to build skills and strike the ball at the middle of the putter but we find over and over again when the concept is right and when your attention's on the whole and what the ball needs to do your actual mechanics improve. Tim what are your thoughts on uh, building a stroke versus you know, seeing and feeling. I, I think I know the answer, but just uh, before I go on to the next thing I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, I'm right in the line with Carl on this, is that I believe that it's the target that creates the technique. It's my intention to send this ball to this target that's, that's going to create how my body responds and how I react to it. In fact, a really interesting drill, like you could do it in your in all parts of your game. You could put the ball on the green, uh, like behind your lead, your trail foot, or in front of it. You could, your body would still find a way how to get it to the hole. There's there's drills you can do with with uh, players um, on the range. You can put the ball, you can have them, their back facing the target. And they'll find, the body will find a way to do it. Yes, there is an optimal place, and that's why ball position alignment, all that is really important. But I think that what happens is is that if we become too concerned 
um, with is how we're going to make this ball move mm-hmm. as opposed to allowing our bodies to to react because it's a both end experience. It's the ball is here and the target is there. And when we kind of have the intention of sending this ball to this target, our body figures out how to do it. You know, this is going to make uh well, I'm not sure if you're going to laugh at it or just think it was pathetic, but here's how I putted 80 times in two rounds. Because what I had been working on, you know, to hone my technique for the national championship I was going to play in, is I had thought, well, I seem to be losing a little bit of feel, so I, you know, someone suggested I make my stroke longer. That's fine if it, because what you're going to say, if the putt is a 40 footer, yes, it needs to be longer than a four footer. But I had somehow thought, well, it needs to be longer on all putts. So I literally had dismissed the fact that I had an eight foot putt on greens that were stimping 12 and continued to try and do it right. I say that in quotations. And then looking back, I'm thinking, you know, at some point, Howard, you needed to adjust that style. So after I missed the cut, the next day I went and played at the invitation of some nice people, another beautiful golf course in B.C. And that day, for about half the putts I played on that green, a round that meant nothing, on even 20-footers, I was looking at the hole, sank a couple, never hit any of them past five or six or seven inches past the hole. And I thought to myself, isn't that odd that all of a sudden as Mm -hmm. I look at the hole, I instantly become the best lag putter on the planet? It's, it's just see it time and time again. I would e- even with beginning golfers, and I'm sure Tim would see this, is that you know very very quickly when you, you you give them the task of what does the ball need to do to go in the hole, they start to organise movement around that intention. Now, mm-hmm. does it does, is, is the put is the putting stroke perfect? Would it look like Ben Crenshaw, you know, Tiger Wood? No, it doesn't. But it, it actually becomes functional pretty quickly. Yes, and. You know, it's it's amazing what you've just described. There, you know, this guy said to you, "You need your putting stroke needs to be to be longer." Howard, yeah, that 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 should be a reaction to you being absorbed in what the ball needs to do to go in the hole, rather than what you need to do to the putter. Mm-hmm. That you know, and, and it's 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 amazing how so many people. You know, we've got we've the, the phrase I love is that we're um, we're drowning in information, thirsting for knowledge. <laughs> um, and, it, and it's very, very true that we've got all this technology now, and we've got all this information, and but it just tends to bring people back to they get so involved in how they're trying to move the putter that it just stops that. It stops that art of putting. As we, that's the reason why we called it the lost art. We've lost the art of putting. Here. Does science have? Does science have a part to play? A hundred percent. Am I against working on the stroke? No, I'm not. But in balance and at the right time and in the right way. Putting is like wisdom, this quote says, partly a natural gift and partly the accumulation of experience. So what would make me think all of a sudden that I don't have a a competent (laughs) stroke of putting? I've been doing this my whole life, but for some reason, again, back to our initial talk about the stories we tell one another and ourselves, I just had this air of, well, I'm struggling with my putter. I called it the slump of 2018. All this, you know, I'm partly to joke, but partly it becomes my story. I played a tournament yesterday and, you know, I had a nice, you know, it's really good greens and I, I was putting pretty nicely. I, you know, I, I sank a couple of, you know, eight to 10 footers in that range. And, you know, those are the ones where you start to feel like, oh, I'm starting to get some feel back because the ball's going 
And I was, you know, the funny thing is, since I came back from, from Victoria, I haven't practiced my putting at all. I've just gone to the golf course and warmed up and just, you know, just sort of left it alone. And for the most part, it's getting better. But when I read The Lost Art of Putting, what will I do to drill better pace? Well, there's a, there's a story in uh, Howard that w- it was coincided. We were kind of halfway through putting the book together and I was over in Ireland and I said, um, I've, I've, I've almost got Irish citizenship now. I've spent that much time over there in the in, in the last 10, 15 years. And I was over there and we're talking about putting and a guy told me a story of um, Harry Bradshaw. Now, Harry Bradshaw was a great Irish golfer, but he was he was renowned as one of the best putters that ever played the game. And he, and he told me that Bradshaw apparently used to do a drill every single day. It was the only putting drill he did. Apparently what he did, he used to go on the putting green with two balls and he would just send the first ball out to a random distance and then his his task was to actually get the second ball to just roll and dislodge the first ball. Wow. Now, what's really interesting, we've actually called this, the the drill is now called Bradshaw's Balls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you're not calling it Bradshaw's Bullocks. (laughs) So people always remember the drill. But what's really interesting is when people do the drill, and you know, I had some tournament uh, PGA players working on this, and when they do the drill, when they send the first ball out, because they're not actually put into a hole, you actually genuinely observe the behaviour of a ball on a green. And what's been, what's been fascinating about that is that when we put a hole there, we actually stop observing the behaviour of the ball and we go straight into judgment. Oh, was it a good putt? Was it short? Was it long? Did I miss it right? Did I miss it left? With the Bradshaw drill, you send that first ball out and you really observe the behavior of the ball. And then you try and get the second ball to nudge the first one. It's a fan- it's a tough drill, but it's a fantastic drill to tune you into the pace of the greens for that day. Amazing. Because you re- yeah, you're really observing. And apparently, you know, the story went in, you know, stories grow, grow their own legs. But apparently that's all that Brad, that's all that Bradshaw ever did. And it just makes so much sense to me because, you know, he's not spending a part of every day missing a bunch of putts. You know, I remember, I remember just to, to drop another name in, I remember Nick Faldo saying if there was one thing he would do differently if he had his career and his time again, he said he wouldn't have spent so much time on putting greens practicing missing. Uh, interesting, you know, and that's a really interesting concept. I think. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I used to do, and I, I, sh- I should start doing again, is when I hit when I go to a new golf course or a tournament and start to try and feel the pace of their greens. What I would do is the first few minutes of warming myself up, I would only putt looking where the ball was going, mm. not not even to a hole, but to, I do this drill mm. to the side of the fringe. But I would yeah. do it looking at where I wanted the ball to go because I wanted to observe what the ball was doing on the green, how it got there, how fast. Yeah. And then you, yeah. so you stop doing that field drill and then you start aiming at holes and doing nothing but missing them. Uh, mm. a, a tour player I know said to me that all, they, all he ever used to practice was 30s and 3s, 30-footers and 3-footers because he said if you can get the 30-footers to within 3-footers, you'll be fine all day. But yeah. still... Yeah. Most of the people listening to this podcast go to the golf course if they practice putting at all as they just sort of take a bunch of practice balls that are on the green and start hammering them at holes and missing them. You know, the big thing in skill acquisition, I was talking with a guy called Ed Coughlin, who's on the, uh, is an Irish guy who's on the, on the podcast next week, and he's one of the foremost experts in skill acquisition in the world. And 
you know, he's, he, he kind of comes at this with fresh eyes and, he, and he, he's worked in Gaelic football and um, rugby and all these kind of things. And he, and he said it's just it blew him away when he came to look and bring his expertise to golf. He said how little of the way that golfers practice bears any resemblance whatsoever to the real thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he said it's no wonder it doesn't transfer now, again, I, I don't think enough players of all levels, especially tour players, I don't think they do enough of what I call single ball practice. You know, just just go out onto the green and create games where you've just got one ball, one opportunity, and you go through whatever routine you have, and you, you, you're replicating then what, what you're actually going to do on the golf course. And then you think back to what, what people do as kids, and kids generally are good putters, what do they tend to do? They just play games against each other, don't they? They go on the green and they just, you know, play 12 holes, 18 holes, whatever, me against you for a can of Coke or whatever it is. And that's that's actually, they're having fun, but they're replicating the demands of the game. Right. They're, not, they're not stood there with a chalk line for two hours trying to, trying <laughs> to affect a stroke. Well, Timmy, we've talked a little bit on the Swing Thoughts about this book I read this summer. The guy that I'm sure you know him, Dave Allred. The, mm-hmm. the pressure principle, and he's the guy yep. that coaches uh, Molinari. And one of the things that came up is that he's developed a, a bunch of um, drills that really put pressure on his players so that they actually feel more pressure in the practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, another great putting quote comes from Lee Trevino. He says, putts get real difficult the day they hand out the money. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that's the point I want to get to is we can do drills, we can feel you know the the stroke that dictate the the putt that dictates the stroke, but when the pressure of the actual game starts, and this is sort of gets back to when we first spoke to you, Carl, that that long walk from the range to the first tee is daunting for people because I think, as you said, it's the first shot of any consequence that yeah. a golfer has hit that day. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, what I about, think what about a, the first putt of consequence? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's exactly the same thing, and you know, you know, you, you think. You've been stood on the putting green before you go out to play, and you've done the classic thing, which is most what most golfers do is wander onto the putting putting green with three balls. <laughs> yes, you know, why yes. the hell do we go on the putting green before we're going to go out to play with three balls? And then you know, oh, you stand there with the first one; it's a bit short. The next one's a bit long. And hey, presto, the middle one—you're right in the middle. You know, you've got <laughs> you've got a, you've got a good putt. That's right. And then, and then you get it on the on the golf course and you only get one go at it, it's no wonder that there's a part of the brain that says, geez, all of a sudden this is really difficult because I'm not I'm not I'm not experiencing what I've practiced. I mean I think the interesting thing with Dave Ulred, again, you know, Dave came from a, a, a sort of non golfing background. He's he you know built a legendary career as a as a, um, as a kicking coach in rugby. You know, but it's 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 almost it takes somebody with with sort of fresh eyes to actually look at a sport and say, you know, we, we do need to, to to practice differently. And I, you know, I feel it's something I've been banging on about for for 15, 15, 20 years now. Yeah, uh, well, Carl, you were the one who introduced me to that whole. I think what they called out uh, transfer training, and that is make your practice more more difficult and put yeah. yourself under pressure i mean howard and I, our, our listeners have heard about par 18 you know ad infinitum and that mm-hmm. started with, with with me listening to your uh dvds and those types of things and that's like as you said you put yourself under the pressure of what the game is actually like and that's why i think the the, the game of golf is so difficult is that we don't play we, we don't practice on the field we actually play 
and like it's completely different. You feel it's a tutta. If you're not trying to hit 20 perfect seven irons from from a flat lie, and you don't have three shots to get your putt right, so mm. what I, I like to do uh, to recommend to people for when they warm up is is um, you know you can hit some balls, see how the pace, and then play about three holes just like you would on the course. You, you, you're going to read it. You're going to go through your routine. You putt. If you if you if you miss, you mark, and, yeah. and you, so you put yourself under that sort of simulated stress under gameplay. Exactly. So once you're out on the course, you're already in the groove of 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 trying to make it because what makes golf really difficult is that you can practice freeing it up all you want in every part of your game, but once you're hitting shots of consequence, this yeah. means something. Your brain is in a completely different space and even if you haven't trained it to be in that environment, you're going to struggle. And I think there's a there's another point that's really important with this, Tim, as well, is that when you actually practice that way, you tend to replicate all of the rituals before right. the before the shot that you would do on the golf course. Exactly. But, it, but if you don't replicate those rituals, and then suddenly you start to do those rituals on the golf course, your brain freaks out, saying, "Oh, this is really important now," and and you know you've 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 not practiced in that in that environment. You know, right, and you get and you get to be too careful. Instead of yeah. like one look, it's suddenly it's two looks. And if you've yeah, got exactly. a yeah. putt to win the tournament, uh, you're going to do the birdie langer four quadrant read, take three looks, and now you're really <laughs> you're really out of your well, your routine. One of the one of the, one of the things they say about Tiger Woods, and we could talk a little bit about his resurgence if you want. But one of the things I've read recently, because I've been doing a lot of studying on putting, as you can imagine, when you have forty, yes, when you, you have, have when you have forty two <laughs> of them, you're looking for answers. And one of the things I read about Tiger recently is that the pace of his routine never wavers. The way I can I can see him, the way he goes in about his putting business. Now, most of us, I I do it, but most golfers don't practice that. They don't practice, as you say, the the rhythm of the actual, the way you would actually engage yourself on the first or the eighteenth hole. They don't do that on the putting green. And as you said, once you get on the golf course, your brain's like, "Well, this must be really important." And either exactly. you either you take too much time, or you do a bunch of stuff you don't normally do. So what would you say in terms of importance is there there has to be something to practicing the way you would play it the routine that you would use. Yeah 100% I would you know it's it's one of the things that the the brain loves the human beings love is familiarity. You know you tell me a person who's not not nervous the first time they start a new job or the first time that they you know they they, they, they have to give a speech to a, an audience they've never met before that when something's unfamiliar we start to get it's wired into us we start to get uneasy so if if, if you if you don't practice and, and it, we, we, you know I, I think the concept that probably one of the most damaging phrases in the whole of the game of golf is this idea or oh, he works hard now, what's the definition of working hard? Well, the definition for most people is standing there smashing balls all day long. That's the definition that people accept as working hard. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my my view is that yeah, that's that's a lot of energy expanded in a day. But actually, what is really hard 
is to go and play par 18 that might take you 15 minutes, but to exactly replicate mm -hmm. everything that you're, you're going to do on the golf course. So you actually, you know, you walk onto the green and see where you want it to land. You walk back, you go through your routine, you, you mark your ball, as Tim said, you use the golf ball that you would use in competition. You take your glove off if you normally chip with your glove on and then you put with your glove off. You absolutely replicate everything that you're going to do on the golf course to the nth degree now that might take only 15 minutes but boy is that hard but i'll tell you what if your par 18 score is coming down and it will if you do that you are then providing statistical evidence that you can then take that onto the golf course because the golf course is then no different to what you're practicing and you know People can look at that, whether it's putting, whether it's, it's mid-irons, driving, whatever it is. You can apply some, so, so much of these principles so that then you get on the golf course and because your practice has been difficult, then you can get into the art of putting. You can get into the art of scoring, right. the art of playing. Right. So I'm going to jump in that, that it works on a conscious and unconscious yeah. level. So. So logically, you've built evidence, which, Carl, is a phrase we steal from you quite often. Um, you've built the evidence. You've seen it that, say, through Par 18 or different things, you've seen your scores come down. So logically, you know that you know, you've got some momentum and confidence. But also unconsciously, your body just kind of – and it's not the right word, but just chills. It, the the yeah. tension goes out. Your body just kind of goes, okay, I got this. And and there's just such a different experience uh, in terms of the flow and just naturalness that your body moves because it, it's done it and there's just this sense of ease that subconsciously allows your body just to do what it knows how to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the uh, lost art of putting is uh, they couldn't have come at a better time. Um, we're not quite finished yet, but be while we still have uh, a few minutes, where do people find it? Can you order it online? Where can I get it? Can I come to your house? Can we talk putting for days and days? Um, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> is there any way I could just call you about three or four times a day and say, Carl, what do you think of this? Uh, we can we can come to some arrangements on that, Howard. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> but you know, it, it it is interesting because I I. Uh, I really have seen this summer how stories and getting involved in technique yeah. and being inwardly focused is a – and I mean, Carl, I do a lot of drills. I got putting drills and I do some trans – I do a lot of transfer training drills. Mm. And it's, it's almost like the harder I work, the more pressure I feel to improve or get back to what I think is a – you know where I should be. All these things we say. You just prove it, you're, and you're exactly proving what what Carl was just saying. Is you you're a product, you're a good player, Howard, because you put in a lot of work. But there's payoff and cost there, right? So the more harder you work, the more in fact you try, mm -hmm. grind, which is another phrase I hate. You in fact just get in your own way, as opposed to just allowing this natural ability that you have as a human being and as an experienced golfer. You just kind of getting in your own way one uh, one radical drill that we have in the book that you come again talking about drills and it's been amazing with certainly better players we'll actually get them to um just hit a bunch of single putts uh from random distances and you're not allowed to even look at the putt you're not you're not allowed to even read the putt all you're going to do is just walk up to the putt and you're going to try and get the pace correct and it is unbelievable how well 
people just, as Tim just said, almost subconsciously they figure out what the line needs to be. And because the pace is better, all of a sudden these putts start to get closer to the hole. You start to get a few 10, 15, 20 footers dropping in. And the penny drops that, you know, I was working with a, um, an LPGA player not long ago and, and it was it was painful watching her putting routine because she, she'd look from behind, she'd look from the side, she'd look from the other side, she'd look from behind again. You know, and I said to her, I said, the more you look at this putt, does your certainty grow that you're going to hold it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and and but again, it's this thing of if I if I look from all these different angles, I, I really look like I'm grinding. I really look like I'm trying hard to hold this putt. It'll look good on TV. I can put a stern face on and all the rest of it. <laughs> you know. And, it seems a bit weird when you could just walk up to a putt just trying to get the pace right and you get the line right too and and I'm not saying just do that but I think there's a there's a there's a there's a happier ground where there's it's kind of like effortless effort really as opposed to this horrible Tim said grind you know work hard all this kind of stuff that we hear so often well one of the things I haven't shared with Tim and I'm going to tell you Carl and the audience for the first time and this full, is full disclosure is, this is hilarious to me so you know I get to the Canadian Mid-Am and I'm all excited and I'm ready to play and I go to the you know you go to the first tee you meet your competitors and you play with the same guys for two days before the cut and I played with these two great guys a little younger than me not kids but you know I'm 58 they were in their late 40s I think one of them Great guy from Manitoba, Tim. He wore golf sandals, so I'm like, what's up with that? The other guy, <laughs> and by the way, wait, and so the other guy who was a, also a very good player, but for two days, putting 80 times in two rounds, I watched this guy who I swear putts um, side saddle. Literally has a grip six inches off the ground. If you guys, I didn't even know it was still legal, but this guy waxed me putting side saddle was one of the best putters I've ever seen. And so there I am going, great. I'm being I'm being uh I'm being beaten by the big Lebowski and the side saddle putter. <laughs> oh man. See? Stories, right, Carl? Stories. 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 I, I, I got a friend of mine sent me a video the other day about this guy and uh, he'd gone over to Morocco and he got over to Morocco to a bunch of pros and they all said you've got to see this whatever his name was, you've got to see this guy put he's the best putter in Morocco. He just keeps holding everything from all over the place and i'll tell you what i saw this video and, oh, yes. yeah. and it and it was like the jim furick of putting and i say that with uh, the utmost respect to jim furick he's one of my heroes you know it was the most unconventional putting stroke you've ever seen in your entire life but this this guy just drills them in from all over the green it's incredible to see um, the lost could you imagine, could you imagine be, sorry, I'll just be real quick. It, um, could you imagine have been a fellow competitor with Mo Norman back in his day on the amateur circuit? Like this guy looked like a hack, you know, this like mm -hmm. like with this really weird grip and stance. Mm -hmm. And he would just smoke it down the ferry every time. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. find that, uh, well, it's that, that pretty it, ironic. It's that old thing. It came from the Little Red Book. And I'll, I'm paraphrasing. Harvey Penick said to Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite when they were younger, he said, if you ever get into a tournament with somebody who has an unusual style, and let's say in this case the guy was putting side saddle, and Harvey said, if he's at your level and he's figured out how to play with that swing or that style, you got to watch out for that guy because he knows his game. Because yeah, he's figured it out right. on his own, and that's why Brandon. 
That's authentic. Authentic golf schools. That's the name of our school. That's what we should do. Because I'll tell you, that's <laughs> why you that's go. why Brandel, uh, Bryson DeChambeau is going to be so formidable because he doesn't care what you think about his style. He has spent he has spent more time thinking about how he should do it. Same with yeah. Mo. Same with you know Hogan. Same with you know Furyk. Trevino. Trevino. Yes, exactly. Um, the Lost Art of Putting is available where people buy books about putting. Is it also available online? Because I'm serious. As soon as we hang up, I'll just go on Amazon and get a... Uh, a... It, 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 it is available on Amazon, Howard, yeah, Amazon.com, um, and in Europe, Amazon.co.uk. So, it's, uh, yeah, readily available as Kindle, hardback, whichever version you prefer. Um, I'll give you one last quote about putting, and I love this. It says, uh, my, favorite sh- my favorite shots are the practice swing and the conceited putt. The rest can never be mastered. <laughs> uh, Carl, what a pleasure. Great talking to you. The lost art of putting. Tim O'Connor, of course, the uh, the feeling of greatness, volume two, or the edited version is available. We highly recommend it. If, you're, uh, if you've never read about Mo, Tim's written this uh, in- incredible story and cobbled together uh, great stories from people that know him. And uh, where is that? Is that still available? Are you... Are you, are you uh, do you send it out, or do you have people do that? Well, it's uh, same thing. That lovely distribution hub known as Amazon. You can nice. get it through there. Um, any final words, gentlemen? Um, well, uh, this has really been fun. and Carl and I are going to uh, tee it up, if you will, uh, shortly. And I'm going to be on his Brain Booster podcast talking about uh, the Mo Norman book. So uh, we're, we're across – Pollinating, whatever. What what are the marketing? Listen, whatever you guys do on your own time is your business. (laughs) I appreciate it, Carl. Thanks very much, and thanks everyone. Swing thoughts, of course, brought to you by uh, TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf, and of course, all our soft goods provided by these fine folks at Adidas. Uh, Tim O'Connor, what's your website? Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca. And of course, you can get a hold of Carl Morris. What is your main uh, web uh, portal? That is themindfactor.com. And, of course, uh, go check out the uh, Humble and Fred show at humbleandfredradio.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Howard. Carl, you still there?